He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Beyonce's Lemonade. You thought you loved your iced tea. You thought you could trust your iced tea. But then your iced tea went off and quenched somebody else's thirst. And now you're in pain and shocked and betrayed. And that's why you're ready for Beyonce's Lemonade. Because you're strong. You can endure. And everyone you know is talking about Beyonce's Lemonade. Everyone you know loves Beyonce's Lemonade. What, are you against Beyonce's Lemonade? I am Jim Garrett, joined by Mickey White. Welcome to the first post-Lemonade edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Uh, it's a very special week for us because Mickey is joining us after a week in the Michael Strahan withdrawal therapy session mm. with Kelly Reba. Mickey, how are you doing? Are you, are you out of your safe space yet? Uh, you know, here's the thing. Uh, welcome back, listeners. Thanks for coming back and joining us again this week. Uh, as we talked about a little bit last week, Kelly uh, Ripa and Michael Strahan were in the news um, over the weekend, continuing on with the big morning time drama that is the live show. And now it's been announced that even though Kelly is back, Michael was supposed to stay on until September. And now he's going to be leaving on May 13th. So basically two weeks. He gave us two weeks notice. So... I am, um, I'm dealing, I wouldn't say that, like, obviously I'm not Kelly personally, but just watching them, you can see the difference. Um, you know, we know a little bit about shows that are built on chemistry and, um, when you don't have that, have no idea what it's like when two hosts don't get along and are cranky with each other. Right. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I, I feel her pain. As I said last week, I felt like ABC really, you know, screwed the pooch on this and I think that Michael Strahan is going to regret this decision um, probably sooner rather than later if he doesn't already however it does open up the opportunity for us to um, then get to audition new hosts so I'm, I'm, I'm not quite to the phase where I'm ready to say goodbye to Michael yet but I'm like sufficiently pissed at him enough that I'm okay that he's leaving Mickey did this resonate because everybody's kind of seen somebody leave a job and see it go badly Kind of the sense of, look, everybody's you know, either lost a job, transferred from one job to another, or hopefully it goes smoothly. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's a job you'll like, but you get a better opportunity, it, you know, uh, sometimes there can be some, some you know, bad blood or, or a sore spot there. Um, or, or is it just a matter of, is it about, about the personalities, or is everybody looks at it and says, ah, Strahan could have handled this better. He had to tell her sooner that this was uh, in the cards. I think that there are a lot of things in play here. Um, one is the fact that it's a very popular morning show. You cannot discount that. Um, it's one of the highest rating morning shows. Uh, there's a reason it's been on the air for 30 years. Uh, they've been doing, you know, pop culture basically in the mornings for over 30 years on live with Regis and Kathy and then obviously Regis and Kelly as they move forward. But it's, um, it's also part of the idea. And you and I talked about last week about, are Michael and Kelly getting a divorce? And that was referred to repeatedly in the, in the newspapers and in other articles that I read um, suggesting, you know, that we do see them as a couple, even though we know that they're with other people. 
And so that, you know, there's something about seeing stars break up or, you know, known um, artists that work together break up that hurts us as people. We were invested in them. Like I said last week, we allow Michael to come into our living rooms. We allow Kelly to come into our living rooms. And that's a very personal experience. We don't often talk about our experiences with television as being personal, but they completely are. Anyone that's on your TV screen, I mean, think about it. If you have an 80-inch TV screen and you turn that on and you've got Michael Strahan and Kelly Ripa there, they might as well be in your living room. They're bigger than they are (laughs) in real life. Are we getting close to that that time like Yakov Smirnoff talked about when in in my country, television watches you? Yes. (laughs) Are we getting there? We already have the smart TVs that are watching us, so yes. You know, I was say well, a couple of years ago. I think it was when the concept of work wives came along, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, uh, interpreted it differently. But the idea of if you have somebody, it's a it's a close partnership with somebody. Yeah, um, I, I, we, we have a kind of polygamy thing going on here. Yeah, um, the the yin yang dynamic. If it gets disrupted, I'm sure undoubtedly people feel, uh, if not quite as emotionally invested in in that relationship as their actual spouses, but then it's there. I, I think. If this this came out the way it certainly indicates um, that that Kelly had no idea this was in the cards, no idea this was a possibility, and got blindsided. Uh, look, you know, I mean, not personally experienced this, but having seen this relatively closely, if a boss finds out that his employee is leaving from him or is leaving from somebody who isn't the employee, it generally goes really bad, and they never forget it. Right. I mean, like the first thing, like whatever decision you're going to make, even if your boss is going to be dreadfully disappointed to lose you or, or even, you know, but like they got to hear it from you. Like it, it, if, if they hear it from somewhere else, it's, you know, I think that exacerbates the sense of betrayal. I absolutely feel like she she had the right to feel betrayed. Uh, as I said, you know, she's not just the co-host. She's a producer on that show. Um, there was a lot more tied to it than whether or not, you know, he was just a co-host. Um, and what was going to happen with the show and how she would select her new upcoming coast, which, like I said, is the only thing I'm really looking forward to in this whole miserable, dark spot of a time in our TV history. Um, because I will tell you that it's just not the same with them not being as like chummy as they were. And so that irritates the shit out of me. So I'm ready for her to move forward and find someone that maybe she can be nice to again. And at this point, I've heard rumors of Mario Lopez trying out. Um, I personally believe that we're going to see Common get an audition, um, and I think that we'll probably see um, Keenan Michael Key get an audition. You were talking about work wives and close relationships and yin and yang. I can't help but think with Michael, it's probably more like yin, yang, 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 yang. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, like theoretically, if you're going by weight, sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can see. Like, technically, Jim would be like my work husband in this case. But in in my life, it always feels like I have multiple work husbands. So in this case, like I said, I feel like I have two. I feel like I am the polygamist in this relationship. Mm-hmm. I have you, and I have Jim. Don't we feel special, Dave? Like a '70s swinger movie. Yeah. You know who would have made a great co-host uh, for for Kelly, Mickey, oh. Prince. <laughs> and there's our awkward transition of the morning. <laughs> ultimate, um, so, ultimate awkward. This is what it sounds like. So, as I say, I would just not have described myself as a particularly big Prince fan, um, but a bit like the death of David Bowie earlier in the year. Um, the star passes away. Suddenly, everyone starts playing. You're like, oh wait, oh you know, party like it's 1999, and you know, Purple Rain, and when doves cry. You know, all of a sudden, you begin to realize just how many songs have just kind of 
playing in the background of your life from Prince. And so um, I, I've, I've kind of been surprised by you, you some, a, a star is not necessarily front and center in the pop culture world and yet is still kind of creating and influencing uh, behind the scenes a great deal. And then when they depart, all of a sudden it's like this a, a great void has been opened. There's a great new Prince meme on the internet concerning the uh, bathroom, the political mishmash of stuff going on with men's and women's restrooms and it's called potty like it's 1999 <laughs> 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 can't well, we just do here's that the thing um i i actually was a big prince fan um okay. i'm going to try to get through this and keep my happy little smile but i was a prince fan um i as i told you last week he was my michael jackson um i think that if you're of a certain age in this country you were either on team michael jackson or team prince and I was definitely Team Prince. And when I heard the news last week, um, I was actually uh, getting ready to do or setting up my TMZ Live for the week whenever, right, when TMZ actually broke the story. And it was one of those moments. We'd already done T-Jams for the week, which was great um, because I don't know that I could have done it last week. I actually <laughs> felt like that was probably like the worst week in television ever of you know pop culture news and whatever. It was probably last week. So great that we called our show what we did. Um, because it was, it, it only got worse from there, but the, you know, we're, we're almost a week out from this now and they're still investigating the death. And of course there's rumors swirling and talk of painkiller use and all kinds of different things. But the reality of the situation is we lost Prince. And, and when I, when that hit me that we were in a world without Prince, I, I had a moment and proceeded to spend the rest of like the next 48 hours doing nothing but listening to Prince, watching Prince videos, and then I even watched Purple Rain again. And if you haven't seen it, you know, this is obviously a great time to catch it. They're even showing it at our local drive-in and, you know, some of our throwback theaters. I know AMC was running it this week. Um, but if you have not seen it, I do recommend um, at least giving it you know, a quick run over as to what it's about and it's not for the kids. And if you see it on TV or edited up edited version, it's going to look more violent than I remembered it because they cut out all the sex. Okay. Um, Mickey, I was going to say, I think when, when people think of Prince, they think of Purple Rain. They think of um, easily like probably a, a half dozen of his songs. But one thing that kind of jumps out is there was that brief time period where he stopped being called Prince. And he adopted that symbol of both the man artistically and, formerly known as Prince. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, did that, I don't know if you want to call it a stunt, I don't know if you call it a phase, however you want to describe it, did that create the impression that Prince was weirder than he was? Or was he always just like. No, he's um, always been a little like off. From another planet. No, he's always been a little off. And he, um, he was a musical prodigy. And, you know, he, he really didn't attend formal education in secondary high school. Um, that was pretty much done on the road by his father. He, you know, he, at that point, by 12, I believe he had already taught himself like 18 instruments. A lot like Michael Jackson growing up, not in the normal yeah. mainstream. Not in the normal mainstream in any way, shape or form. Um, and he was actively out on the road and his dad was a jazz musician, which is a lot of like that influence you hear obviously um in a lot of his you know kind of funkier stuff and what have you and he loved to do like a good jam band session and i think that people don't realize how much jim how much prince was influenced by Jimi hendrix mm. and how much everyone else was influenced by prince <laughs> well and it just kind of like fell out over the time and as you know as things were coming along with you know different people playing different types of music you still see and hear him 
in the music that is on the radio currently. Um, and that's pretty amazing for someone who hasn't put out their own material in over, I think it's like 15 years. Yeah. I was going to say, it's fascinating that uh, he and Bowie die in the same year. It's fascinating um, to me that he didn't have a will. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I'm just observing that their personas, in, you know, in some ways they're, they're like night and day or very different. But on the other hand, they both have these personas of outsiders. Uh, if you feel like you don't fit in, it feels like the songs are for you. The, the <laughs> idea of somebody who is very much... Uh, openly a rebel and like an almost an effortless rebel, right? It's it's not an angry rebel. It's simply I'm going to do my own thing, and it's not like anybody else's thing. And I'm very clearly not playing to the crowd. I'm very clearly not trying to emulate anyone else. I'm influenced by others, and kind of just shaped by it all. And it's kind of this fascinating um, uh, hybrid of all these influences and creating something completely new. So Prince influenced all of these artists upcoming and will continue to influence, I'm sure, artists in the coming years. And I'm definitely not done talking about Prince yet, but I have to believe that people are done listening to stories about Prince at this point. I'll finish immediately after this very brief uh, anecdote. Eric Clapton was asked by a reporter recently, what is it like to be the greatest guitar player of all time? And Clapton said, I don't know, ask Prince. <laughs> yes, and it is my understanding he confirmed that to be true. Yep. That was not just like an internet thing. He confirmed nope. that to be true, which is amazing. And if you've ever seen him play um, or watched him play live, it, you can feel it. Um, and every ounce of your bone, he loved the music. And I think that that's what it takes in order to be that type of musical genius. Maybe you aren't really understood by the world, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So rest in purple, Prince fans. Um, I, I, I certainly... Uh, feel your loss both this week and last week and uh, looking forward to some happier times ahead in the coming weeks and hopefully that means my Steelers will finally pick up a secondary. Speaking we'll be talking draft on the other side. There's a bold one in every family. Anywhere the bold one goes, he gets dirtier than anyone else. He's the bold one. Bold can make even the bold one bright because bold has a power team that breaks up tough dirt and lifts it away. A power team so strong it makes things more than clean. So strong it makes things bright. Here's Cousin Harriet. Here's Cousin Gilbert. And um, here you are. He's the bold one. He's the one. Bold for the bold one in your family. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. An unbelievable achievement in the art of animation. A timeless love story. With excitement, adventure, and awesome villains. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Rated G. have saying about it being ready to snow in April, but we believe that he was actually referring to what all football fans think of as Christmas in April, which we know is the NFL draft. Jim, as a Jets fan, it is, it is probably the best day of the season for you, I would assume, right? <laughs> you know, 
Um, I, I was going to say, I feel like the 2016 NFL draft hasn't been as wildly overhyped as usual. Um, but I'm recognizing this may be my own perception here. Was, you know, the Jets are picking at 20. Uh, you and I are discussing this the just hours before the first round of the NFL draft on Thursday night. Um, the Steelers are picking even later, right? You guys are in the playoffs. You're 20-something, right? Correct, yes. So if your team is drafting late, you know, you're not as uh, – the stakes aren't as high. It's not as emotionally invested. I'm sure our listeners in Philadelphia and St. Louis – or I'm sorry, St. Louis, soon to be Los Angeles. No. Uh, <laughs> it's going to take a while to adjust to that one. Um, are looking at us and saying, no, no, we're really into this. I, I get it. Just Was it that last year you had this classic, uh, uh, you know, good guy versus bad guy, Mariota versus Winston – uh, fight or is it, it you know the, obviously there's two uh, the two guys that are, they're expected to go Big one and things this in year. play this year okay. one we don't have any really good quarterbacks this is a terrible quarterback class so one of the reasons why it's not getting hyped as much is because they don't have a quarterback to hang their hat on I mean they literally had to send that poor kid Harkin Bath or whatever his name is from Penn State they had to send Christian out to do the Gruden school and Gruden coaching because there were no quarterbacks in this. And um, and I think that's one of the things they normally hype up. I think the other problem, quite frankly, is the fact they're holding it in Chicago. New York media likes New York. And they get a lot of the additional coverage that they get just by being there in New York. And by being in Chicago, you eliminate that. And it's my understanding that Roger Goodell's you know, continuing to destroy and dilute the product that I love so very much <laughs> in NFL football by talking about holding different draft days in different cities. Yeah, I understand. And I'm already pissed. I believe our listeners probably know this from last year's draft special, but I am already pissed about the fact that he moved it from a draft day to a draft weekend because we yeah. used to have a huge draft day party. And it makes it very difficult to have a draft day party on Thursday night if people have to work on Friday. And by Saturday, we're talking like late round drafts, so it's not nearly as much fun. Oh, last year, you and I got to watch the first round with our uh, several T Jams listeners and uh, uh, all of that. Right. Up to see we me did really watch the excited about listener. the Jets pick at number six. By the way, um, Jim, I, I wanted to uh, point out to you, uh, courtesy of Mickey and myself, that. Uh, if Pickens are slim at quarterback, we watched with sadness while Fitzpatrick threw the interception that ended your season last year. And we want to let you know, <laughs> Jamarcus Russell is available again. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes, good, he wants to come back. draft him a second time. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah, okay, here's the thing, Mickey. When you say it's a weak year for quarterbacks, it's a year with no sure thing quarterbacks. This guy, Goff, everybody, everybody looks at him and says, okay, with one year of sitting on the bench, they'll be great. Mm-hmm. And obviously teams would rather not spend a bazillion dollars to give somebody uh, to have somebody learning, you know, they can't afford the to. playbook and sitting they, on the bench. Teams can't afford to pay quarterback, a first round quarterback what they are yeah. required to pay them and have them sit on the bench for a year. They can't do it. Um, but there, there is talk of possibly five quarterbacks being picked. I mean, there are enough teams, including the See, Jets. I've heard as low as two, though. Yeah. I've heard as low as two. There really are only two first round drafters. And, uh, well, that makes sense. The Jets will probably take the third. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, you guys are going to get something. Just be happy about uh, it. Lynch apparently is this guy. Who, you know, he's this giant monster, you know, Roethlisberger's I, I type pretend, size. Yeah, I could pretend to know what the Steelers are going to do, but I'd be wrong. Mm. Um, I don't know that I've ever correctly picked a draft pick, um, especially first round for the Steelers. When we picked up Ben Roethlisberger, there was a lot of, you know, in our house, there was a lot of back and forth because my 
my sister wanted Ben Roethlisberger, and my Mr. Bias wanted, get this, Philip Rivers. <laughs> and whenever we picked Ben, Mr. Bias purchased my sister a Ben Roethlisberger jersey. She got the first shipment um, when he signed his contract. No inflatable Ben Roethlisberger doll? We do not have one of those, <laughs> although we do have a Steelers room. I think we've told the <laughs> listeners about that, but I have a Steelers room with a lot of different Steelers collectibles and things that I've gathered over the years. People have, have bought us and sent us and given us, and, um, and we do have actually a lot of Ben paraphernalia and memorabilia up there, along with, along with things from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Okay. So we're like a little pop station up there. There you go. For the 70s, um, 80s, 90s, and today of Steelers. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Jamarcus Russell, uh, Dave, and I'm suddenly realizing, you know, it's bad enough. Earlier this segment, I, I messed up the St. Louis Rams becoming the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, talk that, you know, eventually you could have the Los Angeles Chargers as well. Um, <laughs> a, a absolute betrayal of our friend Red Pickle. Uh, but, Mickey, how does the idea of the Las Vegas Raiders grab you? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's, there's there, good talk. You know, honestly, I just wish it had happened before Al died. <laughs> I think that I it's say, like the perfect kind of middle finger to the world <laughs> that he would enjoy. So if ever a, a team kind of matched each other. Right? Like they just to seem to go together. And I just wish it had gone on before Al Davis died. I think that he would have enjoyed it and enjoyed the idea of it. Um, one of the more interesting things to come out today is that Snoop is also um, going to be having his team released today as well. So you will find out who is uh, who is going to be on Snoop Dogg's team this year. Snoop Dogg's team. Oh, his little league football team. Oh, I thought there was like a dope smoking contest or something. No. <laughs> no. Well, he coaches little league football when he's a big Steelers fan. Okay. Yeah, things you should know about Snoop Dogg. Yes. So playing on a different kind of grass. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> um, the... It's okay, the striking thing there, because here's the thing. Now, my, the obvious thing to say as a Jets fan is to dismiss Raiders fans as a bunch of uh, biker gangs and cosplay players and, uh, you know, uh, brutal thugs. But I actually feel a certain amount of sympathy for Raiders fans and not just because their team has been really bad for a long time. Address that to Jim Garrity. Yeah, you know, I'm sure there'll be, you know, yeah, some guy in Skull, right skull at Jim Garrity. He's the Jets fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm a steel. Fan. So my hatred is more directed towards like the Ravens, Cincinnati. I mean, honestly, how could we have gone a week without talking about Tom Brady's balls? And here he is getting a four-week suspension. That was probably the highlight of my week. But wait, but wait, before we leave the, the topic of the Raiders, Mickey, it's yeah. been brutal to watch um, – uh, teams abandon their cities, right? Cleveland, you know, when, they, when the Browns lost. I know you're, I know you're rivals with them, but every Oh, no, that was horrible. But again, you know, we're talking, talking about... So imagine being a, an old-time Oakland Raider fan, and the team leaves to go to Los Angeles back in the 80s after being a good team throughout all the 70s. And then they finally come back, and then they leave again. Uh-huh. <laughs> be the only fan base that I can think of that would be betrayed twice in about one generation. The Browns and the Raiders. What does that say about their teams? Mm. Quite a bit. Um, what does that say about their owners? Even more. Yeah. Um, as a Steelers fan, I am thankful every day that the family Rooney keeps controlling stock. I'm glad that you know the city of Pittsburgh is so invested in the Steelers and what they do. And the Steelers are invested in the city as well. Like You see them giving back. You're in Pittsburgh. It's not abnormal to run into a Steeler. Yeah. They live in the city, they work in the city, you know, even when they leave the Steelers. So I think that's a big part of, 
you know, we're it's such a the team is such an integral part of the city. It would be very difficult to separate the two of them. I would agree with you, and I, I I agree with the assessment that look, you know, you can't imagine the the Portland Steelers or the San Antonio Steelers. You know, I mean, even the mere fact that Steel. Franco Harris went and played at the Seahawks was devastating. Yeah. You know, at the, the end idea of, his career, of I can't fathom a, the whole team moving out there. A team name being so iconic, but then you look back, you know, the Raiders and Oakland have been always you know been associated together, and it's not like the dog. You know, as much as I, as much as the black hole looks like a prison riot. Uh, matched with you know the evil empire um, or the dog pound, grown men with <laughs> dude. You people paint bellies. yourself green. Yeah, I you mean, have. Like, a, I, I mean, a- I, it's really your fault that you're named the Jets because I've seen grown ass men in plain costumes at your game. <laughs> so I think you need to back that down a little bit. And by the I way, I need to point out I interviewed Ben Davidson many years ago, the uh, All Pro defensive lineman for the Raiders, and he told me they were seriously seriously motivated to make playoff bonuses because they needed the bail money and they needed to pay their attorneys. <laughs> he was not smiling when he said that. My my observation of all this is that uh, the, the problem with Oakland is not a lack of a passionate fan base. And the problem with Cleveland is not a lack of a passionate fan base. No I could mock those cities for quite some time. But I actually think that, you know, the, 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 it's not the fans didn't hold up their end of the bargain to support their, their, their teams in those cities. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you probably could say the same thing about St. Louis and, and you know, the, the talk of San Diego leaving as well. So uh, I am vehemently anti-teams moving in general. Um, I, th- I think the Raiders moving would be, you know, that'd be just like that's not just the paper cut. That's like the paper cut stuck directly into the lemon juice. That's Ooh. really just. Kind of, you know. There are two Ouch. ways to make a team more profitable. One is to start winning, and the other is to go somewhere where some community gives you a tax break and gives you a new stadium publicly financed that has lots of sky boxes and lots of premiums you can sell to people. That's the most mm-hmm. likely way that someone's going to move a team because everyone wants the easy profit. The hard profit is to win a Super Bowl. Just right. just start winning with no other changes in your team. So they do it the easy way. That's why everybody's shuffling and moving around. Yes, and, and according mind, to reports, the Steelers have actually done very well with their draft, which is part of the reason why they've been successful in winning over decades. It's not just, you know, people like to bring up the 70s. Yes, we won four in the 70s. We've won two in the last 10 years as well. But one of the more important things is that we have a winning team average over the years that other teams rival and would love to have, your teams included. Um, but having said that, it doesn't feel that way as a Steelers fan. Um, it doesn't feel like we've had the best drives that, or I'm sorry, the best drafts that have come out um, of our division or any other when you're watching the teams. But apparently we do. Now, having said that, we are uh, wrapping up this draft. And last year at the end of draft, uh, obviously Jim and I got to hang out with our T. James man. And then the weekend after that, I ran right smack into LT, Lawrence Taylor. I wonder if I will see him in town this weekend. If not, um, I wonder where I'll find my lemonade. Hurry, folks. Step right up. Shoot a duck. And win a jar of natural orange flavor tang. It's the new improved tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with tang. And if you really want tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mm. 
Gotta win some of that Kang. Okay, Ant Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tankster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get the rabbit and win a big jar of Tang. It's a living drink Tang, gang. It's Tangerific. Crank up the radio. Back to the Jim and Mickey show. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I don't know about you, I thought earlier this year uh, that when it came to pop culture phenomenon, when it came to beloved entertainers, um, that the Broadway musical Hamilton had really set the standard for passionate, intense, not so subtly scary fans um, who who could handle no dissent, uh, <laughs> reacted, uh, you know, people who really made political uh, debaters and people who discuss politics on Facebook and Twitter look even tempered and calm and all that stuff. And then Beyonce unveiled Lemonade. Um, and now I believe that if you dare speak, you know, never mind speak ill of it. If you just say, yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a crowd of angry Beyonce fans will show up at your door, drag you from it, and tar and feather you in the streets. So um, That's correct. They are known as the Bayhive. Yes, and you know. And the Bayhive is not to be trifled with because they swarm. There's a reason they have that name, and they are possibly the craziest people on social media. <laughs> For those of you who are unfamiliar with the <laughs> Lemonade story, Lemonade epic. is the name of the HBO special that Beyonce began teasing um, right after Prince died last week significantly um, because she was supposed to be the story, and then Prince stole her glory, um, and she still had to get it out on Saturday night. So set up being that she had an hour-long special on HBO called Lemonade, and it ran including videos for the album that she currently dropped, including the single Lemonade. And in that, she refers to Becky with the good hair. Now, there's a couple things about this I want to explain to our listeners that I find absolutely hysterical. She refers to Jay-Z, that's her husband, cheating on her with Becky with the good hair. (laughs) And the first thing I want to say about this is that white people need to understand that Becky is slang for white chicks. That's right. So it's not like her name is Becky. So let's just get that out of the way, first of all. But she is white. And yes, yes. She is. Well, she's, I'm not sure exactly what she is. And I'm not of. sure she was talking about Rachel Roy, although that is what everybody implied because Rachel Roy tweeted not back. Rachel Ray, the girl from the Food Network and the show. Um, I think it's like, what is her show called? Rachel Ray's show, something like that. Rachel not the Ray same person. And makes it sound like cooking. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm not not the same times. person. However, Rachel Ray got tons of hate mail Sunday morning. The. Huh. The chef, because the Bayhive was out swarming on social media and was looking for Rachel Roy, found Rachel Ray, ran with it. Um, the real Rachel Roy posted suggesting that she was Becky with a good hair, don't care. Then, when she was swarmed by the Bayhive, she then retracted her story. This did, however, bring up a really interesting conversation on social media that I want to have with you. Not just about, like, cult of personality, because we know how obviously easily led whores we all are. Um, all I have for, to say about America is you're all easily led whores. That's it. Um, <laughs> Speak for yourself. Carry on. Yeah, it's true. And I say this based on, you know, experience and obviously record sales. So Lemonade's out. It's not a bad song. It's not a bad um, Album. It's not actually. It's not a bad video. There's nothing really bad about it, except for the fact that people want to try and take this pop song and turn it into something that it's not, and they turn it into like you know a conversation piece and political conversations, which it has really no play there whatsoever. I mean, Beyonce thanks you 
for the free publicity that you're giving her. But I guarantee you, it doesn't matter. Like, everyone made a big deal about did Jay-Z cheat and, you know, this is, you know, how she got back at him. Well, she caught Rachel Roy, which made a lot of people angry. You know, but here's the reality. Beyonce is not your role model. Beyonce should not be your daughter's role model. She is a singer. She performs. If you like her music, that's awesome. But you ought to be living your life in a way and raising your kids in a way that you don't have to have this conversation every time a new song comes out. I was going to say, I I was waiting for this to be, if you've ever seen the old classic black and white film, The Oxbow Incident, um, it sometimes gets even taught in law class as an example of why you have due process, right? Uh, The fear of the mob, right? The idea of a whole bunch of people uh, hearing a rumor or a unproven accusation uh, will get whipped up into a frenzy and act upon that accusation without waiting for proof. And uh, this is how, you know, terrible things end up uh, ensuing from that. Yeah, it was so Uh, horrible between Jay-Z and Beyonce that she only dropped her Lemonade single on Jay-Z's streaming service. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. Oh, no, it. the relationship is ruined. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, people. Like, this was more about saving Title than it was about anything. Um, title is Jay-Z's streaming service that he owns with Kanye. The reputed $53 million that Kanye was in the hole came from Title. Oh. It's a streaming service that's supposed to be competing with iTunes and Pandora and Spotify, but it's doing poorly because they have a limited number of artists who are willing to commit to losing all their money by becoming only on title because you have to pay 30 bucks to be a title member every month. I was going to say, it's, a, it's, a, uh, no, it's the all fir- about the money, money, money. The first adopter strategy. that like It doesn't do you any good to be the second Amazon. It doesn't do you any good to be the second best uh, search engine. You know, that, that basically there's yeah, going to be one, in the, uh, one that does exceptionally well and is going to have an overwhelming level of support. I, I think, you know, if you're attempting to replace iTunes or, or and it's Spotify or one of these other... Uh, uh, listening services. Someone took them for a ride. That's yeah, that there's, yeah. It, it's going to be a very steep uphill climb. And lo and behold, yes, you're, you're a phenomenal success in the, uh, uh, in the performing music industry, but in the tech side of the music industry and distribution, um, maybe it's not going to work for you quite so well. Kanye is so much loved. Can't he just do a crowdfunding and millions of people <laughs> will give him back all that money? Don't they love Probably. him? Probably. People are stupid. <laughs> so, yes, I think it's completely possible that people would give money to Kanye. Just give it to him for no reason That's whatsoever. That's what he wants. I'm pretty I, so, sure they would. They do. As, as more plugged into this world, Mickey, let me put it to you. Do you think Beyonce likes the Bayhive the way it is? Uh, oh, likes it absolutely. being this kind of – Okay, that, that it is this um, paranoid, is fervent vanguard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the Bayhawk uh, is her online security system. Nothing. I mean, you talk about controlling the narrative. Nothing that Beyonce doesn't want out gets past the Bayhawk. Yeah. Period. Kind of like the, the, the KGB or um, I'm trying to think of other like vanguards of the revolution uh, <laughs> that would be quickly run around and, and seek out interlopers and dissenters and uh, uh, those committing crimes and against them. And put them down. People. Yes. Yeah. As quickly as possible. They want to put yeah, them down. True. Yeah, this is healthy. That's great. Um, Although Rachel Ray was probably just going, just spell my name right, kids. Thank you. Rachel Ray had to wake up on Sunday morning and be like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. And the the thing about it is, again, Jay-Z and Beyonce are fine. They're doing nothing but making money off of all the speculation. One of the things that our listeners may not, some of them may understand, is may not understand is that people talk about the hip-hop culture. One of the things that... I'm just going to say it. White people don't get is the fact that they follow 
the artists outside of like they know about all the beefs that are going on between the artists. So they knew about I mean everybody knew Beyonce was talking about Rachel Roy before she called her Becky with the good hair. <laughs> because everybody follows the stuff like it's a soap opera. And they're kind um, of like your own I'm, moving characters. Think like WWE. Only yeah. with like hip hop artists. Yeah, this is this, none of this is really you know making me warming me up. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, saying, put this I'm not suggesting that you have to like it. I'm just saying like this is part of the hip hop yes. culture, and it's also a part same, of what their fans expect. Yeah. The same people who talk to their televisions uh, and were watching a horror movie yell, "Don't go in!" The- <laughs> as, if the, as if the protagonist could hear them. Um, Mickey, I have a question. Did the Bayhive turn on Jay Z at all? Ah, point of contention. The Bayhive has always kind of been against Jay-Z, but, ah, but okay. they're always pro-Beyonce. So whatever Bay says goes. So, you know, they, what, I mean, whatever she says, but they will protect her 100%. Now, in the case of, like I said, Jay-Z, they will trash him here and there for saying, you know, for doing bad things to Beyonce. He, he's not protected by them. Okay. I have not seen uh-huh. that at all. However, about- they did target their rage specifically at Rachel Roy here, mm. not at once they got on the right Rachel. The <laughs> outside interloper towards Rachel Roy, and not specifically. And you know, I've seen a lot of people talking more about Rachel Roy than Jay Z. And then there was, you know, then there was the conversation amongst the people who were like, you know, why are we talking about Rachel Roy and not Jay Z? It's like, well, because she took a picture of herself and put a selfie up there and said she was Becky with the good hair right. and she had good lighting and didn't care. They might still be and, swapping and every, recipes with Rachel it was like, Ray, kind of like a whore. And then she was like, oh, no, I'm not a whore. I'm totally into, like, family and being together and all of that. And then suddenly she's got locked down on all of her social media. Um, You had to have been friends with her before because she locked down everything. And then someone else came out and claimed that they could be Becky with the good hair. And I'm like, you know how many women could probably be Becky with the good hair? I don't know. Over the years that Jay-Z has been with Beyonce and the rumors of cheating that have been going on since they have been together from the very beginning. And then earlier this week, she performed, um, and he was there live, of course, in the front row, because they're taking your money, people. And um, she sang and dedicated the song Halo. And I'm just going to guess that Jay-Z nor Beyonce have ever actually read the words to that song. (laughs) All right. I'm going to um, put out another, uh, let's just say... hypothetical scenario mickey let's assume that in circumstances that jay-z gets into a fight with oh let's say solange knowles beyonce's <laughs> sister in an elevator let's say it happens in an elevator yeah. <laughs> which, that was about which, becky with the good hair theoretically okay, so which side does the bayhive take in a fight between the husband and the sister oh wherever bay stands and in that particular case you will recall she just kind of stood there and did nothing yeah okay so it, wow I mean, I feel like I, like when you say, oh, it's the Bayhive. No, really, it's a hive mind. Yes. It is all There's connected. There's a reason they're called the Bayhive. Uh, something insect-like, drone-like, <laughs> uh, a sublimation of individual in- expression and thought. I'd like to make it clear in case they're uh, listening that I like it. I think well, the it's good. I, you know, I... I don't say that have because me. you're terrified, you know? <laughs> no, no, I actually, like, I, I will say the same thing to you that I said to someone last week about Prince. I will pull out what we old people used to call CDs, and I will huh. show you one. And actually, I have several that have Beyonce right there on the cover. I bought it. Well, I didn't really buy it, but I got it. <laughs> and you hold it up high to say, no, don't hurt me, please. I'm, right. I fear you, Bayhive. It's your reflective oh, shield. Says that. 
You say <laughs> that now. If they come after you, I'm not saving you. <laughs> I've dealt with the Trump people. You know, like this is – I oh, argue with Ron Paul supporters. Come on. This is, you know, same Mm-mm. stuff, different day. Um, my only observation there would be – The hive is uh, much more committed. Every time somebody says it for a split second, my mind pictures college basketball coach Jim Beheim. Um, which is very much a different thing. <laughs> yes, different there you go, spelling, because anyway. you would not think of Beehive, because it's not a word. Hey, isn't her name Beyonce? Why isn't it called the Beehive? I think that's where they got the theme idea from it, so why why call it Bay? Bay is, a, is an Arab bay. word that means king. It doesn't mean bee. It's Beyonce. No. It should be the Beehive. But that it's not Beyonce. It's Beyonce, according to... All of her fans, I guess. I don't know. Like Frenchman. everybody calls her Bay versus like B on say. Frenchmen always ruin everything. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should see what they do to French fries. It's horribly <laughs> wrong. It's horribly, horribly wrong. Well, coming back in the next segment, we're going to talk about something that's coming up later in the summer, but we're already getting ready for it's the Road to Rio Olympics 2016. <laughs> Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, clear for takeoff. Roger! Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, turn indicator on. Red warning light will tell you when you're off course. You're flying by radar, holder steady. Enemy plane coming in at 2 o'clock. Enemy out of machine gun range. Set your range finder, get set to use rockets. He's in my sight. Rockets ready. Fire one. Flying in Ideal's electronic fighter jet is like flying a real jet fighter. You work the throttle, indicators, radar scope, and warning light. You control six moving targets, fire four rocket guns, buy Ideal's fighter jet wherever good toys are sold. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, I don't know about you. I, for one, can't wait for the Summer Olympics. Just to see the enjoyment of the crumbling infrastructure, the crushing poverty of Brazil, the impeachment of their uh, of their president, the Zika virus, <laughs> the swimming events in virus-soaked sewage. You know, hell of a choice there, International Olympic Committee. Well, <laughs> almost as good as holding the World Cup in Qatar in summer of 2012 when it's a balmy 120 degrees. Hey, you know what? Sports is too important to be left in the hands of international committees, and I think Rio is going to be a colossal disaster. Um, so now I, I, it's piqued my interest, Mickey. How about you? Um, well, I, I can't say that I disagree with you. I was merely going to ask if in 2020 they were planning on holding it in hell. Because <laughs> I can't imagine a scenario that's much worse. Maybe Winter Games in Siberia? For a real change, they could try holding it in a place better than the previous one instead that of would worse. Be cool. This trend not, needs to not change. Third world country. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. Oh, what Americans have to do other than run, offering up, you know, running water and disease-free jungles. Um, but apparently we can't get the Olympics, but these people can. Yeah. I, I also look forward to see what terrible health tragedy is going to befall Bob Costas this year. Oh, yeah. Um, last, we all remember one, his. Yes. He had the, the, the brutal pink eye. Pink eye, uh, boy. You know he's going to get sick down there. there. There's everybody who goes to Brazil. 
still, even on a trial run, comes back sick. <laughs> this is going very, very poorly. I mean, literally just last week, one of the track and field events as part of a, you know, a huge track ensemble that they put together around the city collapsed. Yes. Last week. And it hasn't so even I don't been used. See how yet. they're going to be ready to do this in August. Now, here's my take. I think that what ends up happening, because, you know, America being America and our people being terrified of going down there and getting, you know, the, the ground literally just falls out from beneath them and they drop 10 stories. Um, I think that at some point our people might have to step in and be like, hey, we're going to hold track and field in like Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can come up here if you want. And if you don't, like, that's cool, but we're not coming down there. I doubt they will do that, Mickey. By the way, you said, you know, Winter Olympics in Siberia. Let's not forget Russia's bang-up job with the non-working toilets, yeah, uh, right. you know, devastating pink eye. The, uh, the luge track that killed somebody uh, right Yay, before the opening ceremony. socialism and communism. This yeah. is why Americans don't realize how lucky we are. We are so <laughs> spoiled rotten because you, you know, Dave's going to be leaving us for a couple weeks. We're going to do um, maybe some live TGMs, maybe some hiatus. But Dave's going to be leaving us for a couple weeks to go to Israel. And while that is a well-developed country, it's not America. Um, nothing is like America. And we are spoiled rotten little brats. But I'll tell you this. I, had always, I always wanted to go to the Olympics. Every year it comes up. You know, you dream of like someday you're going to go to the Olympics and you're going to see all of the Summer Olympics. I think more so than the Winter Olympics. And I'm just old enough to barely remember them being held in separate years. Remember that? At least yeah. in Israel, when you plug an electronic yeah. item into the wall, it works. Down there right. in Russia, they had electric plates on the wall just screwed in with no wiring behind them mm-hmm. <laughs> you plug it in you just stick the plug into the sheetrock and get no power I, I would say the, the israel could host a fantastic olympics yes, they and could. i would i would wholly wholly support that <laughs> if for no other reason than uh we would do phenomenal in those games with all the countries that would be boycotting true. they, <laughs> they could dare would visit the jewish well. state oh no we might we, we might catch jew cooties uh you know <laughs> we could finally uh, win the curling gold medal <laughs> there we go <laughs> canada would show up for that one but yes but for the yeah. summer games all of the virulently like, anti-semitic regime to going to them as a kid and like even you know before i i think i don't i can't remember the last one that i thought oh i should i would really like to go to those olympics because they're generally held in communist countries as of late yeah. And most of the time I find myself thinking like, no, that's not really a place I want to visit. Okay. Some of that so – you I am lucky enough to have attended an Olympics, Mickey. I attended the Atlanta Games in 1996. Okay. Uh, and there was a perception that that was a, that was a games that went badly. Now, look, there was a bombing in Centennial Park right in the middle of it. Um, I joke about uh, the, the Middle East in summer months. Atlanta in July <laughs> ain't exactly cool and calm. And unlike most other countries, that would, most cities that would countries, feel horrible. I can only imagine. Yeah, doesn't have a bunch of a waterfront. There really isn't any place where you go and it's <laughs> feeling a little bit cooler. They held the yachting events in Savannah, which people looking at a map might think, "Oh, it's right next to Atlanta." No, actually, it's many hours away. Savannah is a beautiful so city. Love it. The perception was that oh, America was a bad choice. These these free market capitalist uh, uh, democracies aren't as good. We're going to shift towards the more authoritarian regimes because they can get things done. Uh, you know, giving it to Beijing was considered a very big deal, uh, uh, and it was kind of said, "Oh, oh, China's going to behave a lot better once they give them the Olympics." And yeah. it did turn out. Um, but then they kind of shift. Oh, we're going to give. But I think the everyone Olympics thought like, Russia. "Well, China can at least get their you know stuff together. They'll make sure everyone's organized. If the, nothing else, those chaicoms are organized." Um, and you know, just this general anti-American sentiment. Well, we're not going to reward them. Now, we've, we've seen the Olympics in London went very fine. Went to Sydney. Uh, Athens was not the disaster everybody expected it was going to be. 
Um, so it's not like it's, it's been universal, but you do see uh, more and more strange picks on the part of the International Olympic Committee and to a lesser extent the, the World Cup Committee. And, you know, look, they only get indicted for bribes, you know, so, uh, roughly the same schedule as New Jersey politicians, right? <laughs> Do I mean, they have any bridges over there? <laughs> we're, we're like one decade away from the Pyongyang to oh, North Korea. That's you know? right. <laughs> well, the Grand Duchy of Liechtenstein doesn't have enough cash to get the Olympics, so you're right. It's going to be North Korea. <laughs> the pole vault will be over the border to see if they can get back to South Korea. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I, it's one of those things where, I, and it's a shame because you know if you if you you know I went probably my probably my first Olympic memory is '84, uh, and and kind of the you know the, the the grandeur and you love to see the you know the national anthem played and seeing the whole world come together, um, but year by year, cycle by cycle, the Olympics have become even more of a giant uh, commercialized steroid laden. Um, and in many cases, mismanaged, uh, uh, you know, sinkhole of money uh, for these corrupt regimes. And so there's a part of me that's kind of like I'm kind of enjoying how bad Rio looks like it's going to turn out to be. Oh, wow. So aren't you like just the optimist? Just pointing out that the whole reason that we're really even talking about Rio already is because NBC has begun its marketing campaign to the 100 Days to Rio. And so you can, you know, you talk about it being nothing but a huge marketing and ratings thing. It is. And one of my problems, I'm going to hope that we don't have the problems that we've had in the past several years with the time gaps. Yeah. Where, you know, there was like eight hours behind and you could go online and find out who won before you could see it at night. And that made me very angry. I think this year they should give out a gold medal for getting out of Rio. <laughs> right? You I know the NBC coverage is going to be a relentless happy talk. And it's been kind of fun to know. Notice uh, media entities like ESPN say, hey, have you noticed the people will be swimming in raw sewage there? <laughs> you know, kind of the, the counter narrative there that, that NBC wants to, you know, to, to tell this very happy story. They're not uh, going just to have as a very happy you know, story to tell. Yeah, Costas tried to act like, oh, no, this, my, my eye is fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just going to act like everything's normal. Yeah, and everyone's like, get him off my TV. I, I don't want to see that. And like the athletes he's interviewing are saying, like, dude, you need a doctor. Yeah, like, <laughs> dude, you're freaking me out. <laughs> and now it's like he almost always has permanent pink eye to me because I think when I look at him, I see him through the pink eye filter. And mind <laughs> you, we don't really want to see Bob Costas suffer terrible things, no matter how insufferable his, his halftime speeches during NBC's football coverage are. Yes, we do. Um, it just it, it feels like NBC is acting in this, like, uh, this atmosphere of, of deliberate, um, willful blindness to the problems going on there. But uh, look, you know, I, 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 this will all make more sense when we watch the, uh, the Bob Costas biopic. Right, Mickey? <laughs> right. Yes. And we'll be talking about biopics on our Trivial Tuesday next. You probably know the person who reaches for the phone and never reaches for the phone book. That's a waste of phone books and a waste of money. Every day, 13,000 of your telephone dollars go into paying operators to look up 185,000 numbers already listed in your directory. Before you reach for the phone instead of the phone book, stop and think about it. If you honestly need a number and can't find it listed, call us. That's why we're here. But please, look in the book first. When you're out to get the beer, don't fool around. Get the best name in the business Oh, old Milwaukee beer It tastes as great as its name 
Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we're nearly at the close of our program. But before then, we take a look at our options from Trivial Tuesday, uh, the online Twitter game that uh, Mickey puts together, usually picking up with some sort of topic and question, and people make off their suggestions. And this week, what kind of, you know, what, what film biography would you like to see? And if I, what, what were, was there any consensus winner amongst this, or was it kind of all over the map? There were a lot of them were all over the map. I would say that our overall winner was Winston Churchill. See, there have been a couple of good ones of those. Okay, and, I, and I was thinking that maybe we should suggest some of the more. ones that are out there. Um, but there were a lot of Winston Churchill suggestions. One of the ones I threw out early on, obviously, I threw this out um, and suggested that, you know, with all the news of the week, that Prince's biopic was going to come out at some point. Mm. Um, and, you know, it would be interesting to make sure that they give it the Ray treatment and not the get on up treatment. Is it wasn't very good, um, and Ray was awesome. Having but, just watched it, Mickey, isn't Purple Rain kind of a, a quasi-fictionalized? No. Uh. No. Um, Prince's father lived to be like 80 years old. Okay. So, no, that, that's not a biopic. Um, although right. it's, it's representative, I think, of the abuse that he saw. It's a fictionalized version of that. A thematic biopic? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Very. Uh, and, and, again, he wrote that with Apollonia. Or I'm sorry, he wrote it with Vanity before Apollonia starred in it. So that was extremely, you know, that was their movie. She was supposed to star in it, and she dropped out when they broke up. And so Apollonia ended up stepping in and getting the spot in that particular one. Um, he- I suggested that I'd like to see one of the uh, summer tour that was done between Johnny Cash and Elvis and um, June Carter Cash and all those other people that went on tour that one summer. I think that would be really interesting. Isn't there a musical about that? I was going to say, you talk about a, a natural choice. Yes. You know, you, think, you can already think about who you cast as Johnny well, it's, Cash. It's portrayed as a small sliver in other movies about mm-hmm. Elvis, about Johnny Cash. Yeah. Um, but it's never been taken on, I don't think, as an entire summer. And and how that tour played out, which I think would have been really interesting and, and would be interesting to see. I noticed Harriet Tubman getting mentioned a lot, obviously, the news about her being put on the uh, mm-hmm. uh, $20 bill. There, there is one in the works starring one of your favorites, Viola Davis. Um, so I imagine, you know, you know, people saying, oh, it'll be terrible. It'll be politically correct. Look, you know, the gun toting woman going to, you know, uh, rescue slaves and then being active in the, the Union Army. And so look. Could Hollywood mess this up? Sure, but they couldn't ask for much better raw material to work with in terms of a, a great dramatic story there. I think that, and again, I look forward to that film as well. I think that would be a good one. Um, there were a lot of suggestions of, um, one of them was uh, Koufax. You guys watch baseball more than I do. Hmm. Um, there were several suggestions of baseball players. Um, no one suggested Tillman, which I thought was interesting because I don't think he has a movie out yet, does he? Spencer Tillman, Lawyer Tillman, which one are you talking oh, about? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ron Tillman, the one that was killed. Oh, oh okay. Is it our, our colleague and sometime, our friend and sometimes critic, Jazz Shaw, who suggested Walt Whitman? Yes, that was fantastic. And I remember thinking about that. I'm I, I, I really genuinely surprised there hadn't been one by now. Mm-hmm. Um, Walt Whitman could and- be played by Snoop Dogg, and they could be talking about the leaves of grass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, See, that would be nice. We could have them hang out together. Dave, Dave thinks like uh, the true Hollywood uh, <laughs> producer here. You know, true. we'll get Snoop Dogg. Um, my nominations included uh, Nathan Hale, uh, Revolutionary War spy. Uh, See, so yeah, most of them all came from this series done by an author by the same name of Nathan Hale, uh, who spotlights 
tales of history and my older son is just gung-ho into them. Um, so there's there uh, the story of the Merrimack and the Monitor during the Civil War. Um, uh, almost anybody – oh, actually, you know what? Okay, I, also it's a James Doohan's D-Day story. Uh, James Doohan, best known as Scotty from Star Trek, who actually stormed the beaches yep. on D-Day um, and lost a finger. And you ne- if you look closely in Star Trek, you almost never – See his that finger because of that hand. So, oh, wow. anyway, um, you know there there are fascinating stories waiting to be told if uh, uh, if Hollywood has the guts and you know wants to go for this. Well, I certainly believe that you're right. There's a lot of raw material out there and a lot that can be done with it. And I want to thank our listeners because we've come to the end of another show. And I'm going to do a very quick wrap here. You can always find us on SoundCloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. And you can find us on Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. So give us a like there. Um, That's a great place to find us other listeners as well. You will see us back here next week, although possibly not in our current form, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, we probably won't be on a two-week hiatus, but we may not be in the exact form that you find us right here. Which would be because your intrepid producer, that's me, is once again voyaging to the dark heart of the Middle East. Listeners, there's something rotten in the Middle East, and Dave Perkins is taking out the trash. This time, it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to run into Chuck Norris over there. He's going to say, I work alone. You did all this? I fly solo. I thought you knew that. Yeah, I heard it, but I didn't buy it. Be safe out there, Dave. So thank you so very much for listening each and every week. I am Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. You can find us at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. And please give us a like while you're there so you can hang out and join the community. You've been listening to... The Jim and Mickey Show.